Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Hardcore Gamers Show. That's Gamers with a Z. Our show about video games and why you should play them. I'm your hardcore host, Michael Koval, and with me today is Nathan Ludall. Listen. And Chris Wiley. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> uh, we've got another great show for you today. Uh, we're going to talk about what we've been playing. Uh, we're going over some of our favorite moments from our gaming histories. Uh, then we've got some community mail to round out the show with. Uh, but first, it's a new month, and you know what that means. We've got a new game for our game club. Each month, we play a new game, gather our thoughts and yours, and vote to see if the game can win our hardcore seal of approval in our game club episode airing at the end of each and every month. Of course, to win the seal of approval, a game must get a majority of vote of thumbs up from the gamers. Half the vote is not enough. There's two ways to get involved with Game Club. On Twitter at HGZ Games Show, that's games with a Z. Or if you're not a Twitter user, send us an email to HGZGameClub at gmail.com. All right. We've got an interesting pick this month. Um, another one I haven't played before. This uh, this one is one of Chris's picks. Uh, Chris, why don't you tell everyone what we're playing this month and why? So, uh, yeah, we're going to be playing Soma, a 2015 sci-fi survival horror from the makers of Penumbra and Amnesia, frictional games. Soma places you in the shoes of Simon Jarrett, a Canadian man who undergoes an experimental brain scan while seeking treatment for a traumatic brain injury and suddenly finds himself in an unfamiliar underwater facility. And the reason that I picked Soma... Um, above the other games is i think it does a really good approach and a really interesting approach to horror in that it derives its horror less from jump scares monsters and gore and instead delves into existentialist horror relying on the story concepts and atmosphere to build those unsettling vibes very cool well i and know i for one am ready to be spooked <laughs> uh but with that let's get right into what we've been playing uh this week um, I'll go ahead and get us started just by saying that uh, I'm still playing Yakuza Like a Dragon, uh, still making my way through that, uh, having a good time. I think that uh, I recently hit a bit of a grind wall um, where I did make it to uh, the boss of, these, of the area that I'm at now, um, but he was a few levels higher uh, ahead of where I was at that time, uh, so I loaded an earlier save. Uh, so, so I could do a little bit of grinding. It's not too annoying, though, because the game uh, has a, a job system. Each one of your characters uh, can change to different jobs that will give them um, a, a different, different set of abilities. Uh, but then what's cool about that is when you change jobs back, um, if you've reached a certain level threshold in a, in a certain job, you will keep uh, some of the abilities even when you change back. So you might take one job that focuses on physical damage um, and then change to a job where your character has um, some fire damage abilities. Um, but you might maintain a couple of the um, physical damage abilities from the other class. So it's giving me kind of a little bit of a chance to um, build up some of my characters a little more um, where you get to grind your overall level um, still, but uh, and then, you know, grind up your job uh, level separately. But I, but I am in a little bit of a grind spot now. Um, but I'm still having fun with that one. And I do plan to uh, see that one all the way to the end. 
Um, it's, it's taken me a, taken me a little while. I would have to look to get my hours count, but um, it's it's in the tens at least. Uh, probably thirty to forty hours I've played right about now. Um, so I'm having a good time with that one. Um, and I'll I'll make sure to check back in with you guys when I've got a final score. Um, but Nathan, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you've been playing recently? So, in lieu of Monster Hunter Rise coming out, I am not playing Monster Hunter Rise because I can't find a freaking copy <laughs> within within my vicinity at this time. Within like the first two hundred miles, I can't find a copy. So, wow! And you're trying to pick up a physical copy of that? Yeah, yeah. I um. So I. For Nintendo, I, I collect physical media in general, but Nintendo games especially, I collect physical stuff. So I'm just going to follow through with that and get a copy when I can. But in, in lieu of that, I decided to pick up another game called It Takes Two, Ooh. which is a cooperative 3D platformer that just came out same time as Monster Hunter did. Um, it is developed i forget what the creator's name is but it's developed by the same person who also made a way out and brothers mm -hmm. um the whole game is centered around you play as these two dolls that are brought to life by this little girl's tears so uh, it, it's weird because it's like is she like a witch like what, what or is this just like <laughs> 1990s like early 2000s pixar or just like things just magically come to life i don't know anyway so you play these two dolls who are going through the motions of love and this like book is basically pushing them through all these levels so that they come closer together and figure out like why their relationship didn't work i should also preface this by saying the dolls are the little girl's parents and okay they're um they're inside the doll wake up inside these dolls and they have to get through all this um these obstacles together and uh, just like the tile says it takes two each and every like obstacle and boss fight requires both uh participants to work together to get through the game um the platforming is really similar to like any other three platform you ever played, but honestly, so I've play, been playing this with my partner, and I can honestly say that like this is easily one of the most fun platformers I've ever played. To the point that like I would like this is the most fun I've had since Super Mario Odyssey in that genre. Wow, is that right? Yeah. All right, so that sounds uh, like you're having a good time with it. Um... So I know the creator, uh, Joseph Ferris, had promised $1,000 to anyone uh, who gets bored of the new game It Takes Two. Uh, do you think that you'll be cashing in on his promise, or do you think that uh, a lot of people are, are going to have fun with this one? I mean, if I was, you know, playing by myself, then yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, the game literally requires you to play with another person, but if you are interacting with and playing with another person, preferably local co-op, unless you lack any sort of soul, then you're going to enjoy this. Like, it's mm -hmm. it's so stupidly charming, and it's the platforming's a lot of fun. The puzzles are clever, but not too hard. Um, it's cool, and the animation is just gorgeous. It, it looks like 
like a, at least like a DreamWorks movie. <laughs> awesome. I've been wanting to check that one out. Um, I know uh, you said it's it's fun to play with your partner. Um, how experienced uh, of a gamer is your partner? And do you think that It Takes Two is friendly enough um, for for anyone or? Yeah, so my partner is, she she's a little more seasoned than most, but her, she's definitely put in like her time for games, but has only really recently, these past couple of years, gotten into video games the same way that I am. Um, and mm-hmm. most of her gaming experience lies within like farming simulators or like Animal Crossing, stuff like that. Uh, not not super like reflex intensive uh, games, but um, you know, going through it like she's having little to no trouble uh, getting the platforming down or like helping me with the puzzles. I will say if if you're whoever you're playing with has a hard time with like timing mm-hmm. and like just being able to switch, that might be a little bit of an issue because some of the puzzle elements do require you one person to like be flipping like a switch occasionally and the other one to like navigate through the traps and everything based off like the right timings of the switches. So if that's like an issue for whoever you're playing with, then maybe look at some like demos or some reviews or something. But I mean, like it's so much fun. I, I, I really want like everybody to go out and just like play this. Awesome. And how far are you um, so far? The game has been described as a romantic comedy of mm-hmm. sorts. And I I guess I want your take on, do you find that accurate? Or I guess, is the game even funny? Is it, uh, does it make you laugh? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny. It's um, mostly humor is pretty like, sort of like kid friendly i mean the dolls do cuss occasionally which is a little jarring what mm-hmm. <laughs> but um yeah i would say it's pretty funny it, it is dealing thematically with uh divorce and like just the ideas of like love um but it never gets so far we're only about two hours in mm-hmm. so far it hasn't gotten to the point where like <laughs> we're, we're just you know like both begging for it to be over or whatever but um yeah no i think is very lighthearted and most people will probably get something out of it. Cool. Well, uh, that one was, it takes two. Um, check it out. You won't be begging for it to be over. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, Chris, uh, have you been playing any games recently? What have you been up to? I have, I've been playing, uh, well, let's see. Most recently, I've just platinumed Dark Souls 3, which was a pretty big time sink. Wow, you madman. Yeah, I'm uh, two achievements away from uh, doing the same with Dark Souls 2, and I've started the Dark Souls 1 remaster as well. <laughs> oh my. It's misery. Um... I, I, don't, I don't understand that thought process, <laughs> but good for you, honestly. Um, other than that, I also uh, got started playing Amori as well. And uh, it's been a pretty, pretty good time, uh, like, so far. I'm only about four hours in. Awesome. Uh, Tell me more about uh, Amori, was it? Yes. So, um, Amori, it it has a pretty unique, like, kind of, like, uh, drawn and colored pencil kind of art style Mm -hmm. to it. Um, 
but the story itself seems to so far revolve around four friends in a not in and what's maybe a dream a dream mm-hmm. world of sorts um as there has been a break uh where i've been playing so far into a a more normal setting as well but if it is a dream world then i think it actually does a fantastic job of you know kind of illustrating that just having um just having like that kind of like liminality in its um in its like setting and uh the soundtrack uh lends well to it as well along with just having like enough like enough off things about it Mm -hmm. that either isn't touched on or is treated as though it's normal to you know line up perfectly with what dream logic would be and this is uh one that i believe hardcore gamer vince had brought up on an earlier show um so i think you'll have to uh, make sure to get that discussion going with him. Uh, I know I was interested in checking that one out as well, um, but I don't know if I can handle that much horror all at once if we're going to be playing some Soma as well. Let's just um, go down the existential dread. Why not? Let's <laughs> pour that cocktail out. All right. That's going to bring us to our topic of this show, This week, we are talking about some of our favorite moments from gaming. Uh, These can be personal moments for us. Um, They can be scripted moments from a cutscene. Whatever whatever is a moment that has stuck with us to this day, um, these are the reasons that make it worth it for us to continue being gamers. Um, So I think we all have some of our top three moments here, and I have some pull from the community as well. Uh, but Nathan, I'll start off with you. What's your number three? My number three moment. Um, so that would be the Paper Mario Thousand Year Door Shadow Queen boss fight. And why Why is this your number three? Yeah. So I played this game with, around the time it originally came out back in the early 2000s. Um, GameCube was my first real console that was you know legitimately mine and not my siblings or anybody else's. It was, you know, it was mine. And Paper Mario Thousand Year Door was along with like Sunshine, Luigi's Mansion, and other stuff was one of those games that I owned and played on heavy rotation throughout my childhood. But what made Thousand Year Door so cool was it was essentially my first RPG. Mm-hmm. And so I got to I got introduced to those RPG uh, mechanics. I got introduced like turn-based uh, combat as well as like witty writing and like just these full-blown lengthy like games that you pour you know 40 50 plus hours into. And what made Thousand Year Doors like Shadow Queen boss fight so special to me was that like it was the end boss fight and it was, you know, everybody kept like building up this like boss fight like throughout the whole storyline. And by the time you get to it, it lives up to its name. Like the Shadow Queen boss fight is bonkers tough. And I had a really rough time getting through it my first couple times, especially since like spoiler alert there's like two phases of the boss fight. And in between those phases, there's a unskippable five minute cutscene you have to go through. So imagine being 13 year old me raging every time he couldn't beat the shadow queen, especially when you get to the second phase because of the stupid 
five minute cutscene. I have to watch it every <laughs> single freaking time. Nothing worse uh, than a boss fight that uh, when it's really tough and it starts with a, a cutscene, an unskippable cutscene every time you restart. Right, and this is like something I would discover later on with like just a lot of like older games do that. Like Kingdom Hearts had that as well, and just. The day I booted up a game and I was able to skip its cutscenes, no matter what it was, was just like a revelatory moment for me in general. Um, but I, uh, to this day, I still hold that boss fight in that game in such high regard that it's like easily one of my favorite, like not only like games of all time, but just one of my gaming moments that I look back fondly on and kind of started my journey into like RPGs and just big, lengthy worlds in general. Yeah, um, uh, Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door, that was an early one for me as well. And I remember loving that uh, as a kid. Really cool seeing Mario in uh, just kind of a different uh, genre and setting. And amazing how fun the combat can be um, with just a couple of button presses, like hit A as you hit the enemy or pull back and then let go to do the hammer attack and make it stronger. Yep. Um, Chris, did you ever uh, get to play uh, any of those earlier Paper Mario games? I actually had started Paper Mario on Super Paper Mario, so I didn't get to experience it. Oh, you got the like dark horse of the series then. <laughs> it's a good one still. It's just so radically different from everything before and everything after. Yeah, that's um, that's what it struck me as, as I had seen some um as i had seen some gameplay from the earlier games and i look back on playing super paper mario and realized like oh this was a major departure from the formula that they were going for here and i had no idea all right well chris why don't you tell me what your number three top gaming moment is um i would probably say it's actually a more it's actually a pretty recent one um killing uh dark eater madir in the dark souls 3 dlc the ring city um i would probably qualify this as one of the if not the hardest boss out of the trilogy um myself and uh my buddy we were uh we were both fighting him like alternating back and forth as we died uh on each of our worlds and we were stuck on him for over a month, actually. He was optional, luckily, so it didn't really keep us from progressing. But um, that, uh, that, that moment when you realized, oh, we actually have a chance to win this, and that the anticipation continuing to build as, as we needed to continue making effectively perfect plays just due to how much damage was going to be coming out if we actually took a hit, uh, to finally actually watching him drop was was momentous it was it was really really a hype moment for both of us um that's awesome um how many how many times would you have to estimate that you fought that guy oh man over 200 probably <laughs> oh wow um so for a lot of people just beating the first boss in one of those games is a pretty big accomplishment um, what was it specifically about this boss that was making him so tough? So with uh, Dark Eater Madir specifically, um, he deals a tremendous amount of damage with his hits. He telegraphs very, like, very soon and very, like, very long. So you can generally, once you get a feel for 
you know, what his movesets are, know where to go or how to dodge in order to avoid the attacks. But if you if you make that one mistake, depending on what you're wearing and how you've built your character, you could die within one or two hits. And so it was a very unforgiving fight in that respect. Um, the other the other issue being that he had a uh, an obscene amount of health, really, just a a completely wacko like massive damage sponge. And uh, taking those two factors and putting them together at the same time uh, makes the fight very challenging. Feels bad, man. Well, I know um, you sound like you are up for the challenge, and you were up for the challenge, so congratulations on that one. I'm, I'm sure that's a, an awesome memory that you always have. <laughs> um, my number three here is pulling off the perfect team play, and I guess this uh, isn't a specific moment, but just the thrill that you get when... Uh, you're playing with one or more people on your team and you're just, um, you know, hitting on all of the same cylinders together at the same time. I have a couple of anecdotal stories from uh, games where I was playing in Battlefield Bad Company 2. Um, I'm flying over this battlefield and my buddy is uh, the, he's flying the chopper, he's the driver. I'm shooting out the window, just shooting at some guys. There's an objective in the building below that we need to uh, plant a bomb on. I jump out of the helicopter, uh, shoot a hole in the roof with a grenade launcher while I'm parachuting, slide in, kill a guy that's guarding the objective, plant the bomb, run outside, uh, see an enemy in front of me, and my buddy has apparently done his own work to get out of a chopper and get another vehicle where he comes drives up and uh gets us uh, a vehicle kill on that person just in time to pick me up and ride away from uh the objective as it blows up behind us awesome you know you can't script things like that um or another example is from my league of legend days nathan knows what i'm talking about when um I'm playing top lane, which uh, I won't bore you with the details of League of Legends, but just I'll be on the other side of the map um, and pull off a teleport ability to the complete other side of the map. Um, and when you pull that off just perfectly to pull a flank off on the opposing team um, that you choreographed with your bottom lane, there's nothing better. So my number three pick there is pulling off the perfect team play uh, with your buds team like team play like anything honestly it's just always like the best really like i i've just so many fond memories of like you and i on league of legends and just like just like different stuff like that or on overwatch or whatever it's just when you get like that perfect like all the stars align you sync up and then all of a sudden you're just like <sighs> oh it's so cool <laughs> indeed all right, that brings us to number two then. Nathan, why don't you tell me about your number two moment? Yeah, my number two moment was, you know, going back to League of Legends, it was when we all went down to an eSports match uh, for League of Legends in, like, one of those arenas. That is just so cool. I um, 
So, like, prior to that, I'd only been to, like, some, like, sporting events or whatever. And I saw online that esports events were kind of, like, picking up steam and that they had full-blown, like, arenas for these things. And, like, you know, I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, a lot of, like, people's, like, really? Like, you're all, like, getting together to, like, go watch a video game. And it's, like, you know, why even, like, what's the enjoyment out of this, right? But like when you're there and you're like with everybody else doing the same thing and watching these like, you know, professional people play, there's nothing like it. It's so cool. And it's like, it's such an invigorating like experience. I just remember doing that, going to Santa Monica and like, and just, you know, seeing that in person. And I hope that, you know, once the pandemic's over and everybody can go start being, you know, going back to normal, whatever, the normal is that I can hopefully go to an esports arena, preferably with some friends, and uh, enjoy some uh, live matches again. Because uh, yeah, that that's the dope stuff right there. That's right. Uh, Nathan and I have been to uh, a league championship series live event in person, uh, and I, I I agree that was a lot of fun. I I think you. Um, you sort of nail it right on the head that once you're there and uh, and in the moment with uh, the, the whole room full of gamers ready to cheer for the on-screen action, mm-hmm. uh, you're not thinking about, you know, what's what are all these nerds doing here or something right, like right. that. Uh, you can feel the energy and everyone's there to, to have a good time. Uh, well, I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, you just like the cool part about that too is that like you get to see like people from all backgrounds at these things. Like, there's some people like you see there, and you're like, oh yeah, you definitely like League of Legends. <laughs> but then there's like other people like I'm like, you like League of Legends? Like, you know, it's that one of those things. Like, you never know like who's like into like whatever video game you're playing until you go to something like this. That's why like mm-hmm. events like this are so important, as well as like cons or whatever. It just brings people from all different kinds of backgrounds together to share their enjoyment of this very specific thing. And I, I really love that. Yes, I agree. That, um, that's a really great memory. Um, Chris, uh, you're up. What's number two for you? So I think number two for me is a uh, nostalgic one. And I would say that would be uh, when you first enter the Kanto region in Pokemon gold oh. or uh, second gen as a whole, because you, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a kid, I played through the second generation and I, you know, made it the whole way through to the Elite Four and all of that. And I thought to myself, oh, sweet. You know, I just beat the game. That was solid. And then come to find out, oh, I'm halfway through the game, actually. Never mind. It was just like that realization that like, yeah, we've actually doubled the content you were expecting. Like that was yeah. like a massive hype moment for me. What a great twist. I mean, are there... How many other games are are there even like this where you think that you've gotten to the end only to find out that you're only halfway through? I think, um, was it Castlevania and they had the upside down castle when you when you reach halfway through? That's maybe the only other thing that I can think of off the top of my head where uh, you got the, a nice uh, surprise. Uh, there's double the game that you thought there was. Yeah. All right, and was this um, was this the first Pokemon that you had played, or, or you had played Gen One as well? Um, my first video game I ever actually personally owned was Pokemon Yellow. 
like way, oh, wow. way back in the day. And so I, yeah, I, I played Pokemon Yellow and then I'd gotten Gen 2. I got, uh, I got gold. My brother got silver. That, uh, that, that was like, because I, I came in like thinking I knew what to expect. And then, you know, it just immediately like doubled. <laughs> it, it blew my, it blew my, my mind at the time. I don't know how old I must have been. Maybe like seven or eight. Dude, those games still blow my mind with how big they are. Even like just like compared to every Pokemon game since. You know what I mean? Like, it's oh, just, definitely. That's because... bang for bang for your buck right there. Yeah, I I'd actually read a while back that the especially for the gen uh, the generation one games, like they had to do a ton of like tricks to like save memory for those games in order to pack as much as they could into that little cartridge. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, so for my number two moment here, uh, I've got a sequence that I know will stick with me for a long time, and that was the Uncharted 2 train sequence. Uh, did either of you play the Uncharted series? I have not. I, I haven't either, actually. Okay, so number two opens up with Nathan Drake sitting on a train and you quickly find out that things are not okay as uh, I think it's a crate or another chair from the uh, train flies past him. The camera turns and you realize that uh, he's hanging. Uh, the train is hanging off a cliff and he actually falls down through, uh, downward through the train. And you have to climb up this train that's hanging off of uh, this cliff face and that's how the game opens it's very cinematic um and just i remember it pulling me in right from the very start um and the sequence uh that happens later in the game uh where you're going through a fight right before this moment this opening moment um is really unforgettable i'll always remember this super awesome set piece uh where you're fighting through the train uh, there are guys on the train, you know, you're going up uh, each each cart and you end up fighting a, a helicopter that is shooting down at you. And I think it's the helicopter that crashes into the train and it ends up being this huge crash. Uh, it's just so bombastic and cinematic. I love every second of it. And that's one uh, that will stick with me forever. And one where I knew uh, the games can just do uh very blockbuster uh storytelling and and uh scenes and pull it off uh in a really great way story driven uh, action games man sony's got the market cornered right now all right so that brings us down to our number one picks for our best favorite moments from our gaming histories uh Nathan, I'm going to come right back to you. Tell me what's your number one. So I was trying to pick between two. One of them was just because of the pure enjoyment of discovering something. And another one is a little more personal. So I think I'm going to go with the, the, uh, the latter just because I think it means more to me the more I think about it. So growing up, I um, am basically the, like, 
I'm the youngest of five, but there's such a big age gap between myself and my siblings that I'm basically, I was basically an only child for a very long time. Um, and uh, so I got a lot of my, you know, parents' attention for the most part. My dad and I didn't really have a ton in common, but, you know, we tried to, uh, like, you know, figure that out. A way to like hang out whether it's like through music or like playing guitar or like you know he really liked fishing so i would go fishing with him etc etc so whenever i tried to get him into video games you know he would play like a round or two of like you know some some like super mario bros 3 but he never really got into it you know gaming was never really his thing Mm -hmm. but he always tried like he always tried to do so Come to the GameCube. There was a game called Freak Style. I don't know if you guys know what this was, but it's a it's a motocross game um, with you know motorcycles and everything. But like Freak Style turned up to eleven, and yeah, so like you would like you know ride through these like tracks and everything. But like those tracks are like you know you got hundred foot ramps that launch you up into the air with like uh like flaming rings of death and just like stuff like that, you know, and. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed it, and I asked my dad, like, if he could, like, you know, try this out, and he was hooked. He, huh. like, had, had the time of his life, like, playing it. Like, you know, my dad, who's the, like, you know, old fisherman, like, kind of stereotype, was playing this, like, this ridiculous video game with me, and that kind of became our thing for a long time, was playing that game, and um, uh, and it was just like it was just a really cool like bonding moment that I don't think we've ever like quite captured with like a game like that since then. But something like I always keep in the back of my head, and whenever I see like that game pop up online or whatever, or like I see my even my GameCube, I just always think about how we were able to like finally connect and successfully play a video game together like multiple times over. That is so awesome. Um, I love how games can bring people together, sometimes uh, from the most unexpected uh, titles. <laughs> um, right. So I'm, look- I'm looking at some of these screens from Freak Style now. And, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's Nobody knows of this game. Like whenever I bring you up a conversation, they're just like kind of like raising eyebrows like, okay, yeah, sure. But this game was like so out there. So, so completely out there. Um, very awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Nathan. That's an awesome story. Um, Chris, I'm coming right back to you now as well. What's your number one gaming moment? So uh, mine actually has uh, a similar like kind of family uh, family background to it. Um, back in the day, uh, my like you know some families would have like family game nights and stuff where they play board games we would all get together and actually play video games or watch someone play a video game Mm -hmm. and um the most persistent video game series throughout that entire time was the silent hill series um like my whole family are, are horror junkies like i i love horror um like when i was like uh, even a toddler like i was going through you know like haunted houses like fright fest and stuff like that was always that's always been one of my things but silent hill was 
kind of like the the progenitor for that. Uh, we every single console that we as a family bought, we bought in like for the upcoming Silent Hill release. PlayStation One, PlayStation <laughs> Two, Xbox, th- Xbox, Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, PS Four, PS Three. All these games we pay. All these, all these consoles we picked up to play Silent Hill games. But Silent Hill Three, I, I don't know. Have you guys actually played Silent Hill? Any of the games? I've never gotten to it. It is a series that has passed me by. Yeah. Mm. Um. So in uh, Silent Hill Three, you are uh, you're you're playing as a teenage girl, but the um, the initial area that you're in is actually a mall, and it's just a perfectly normal mall as well. Um, things um, things do go awry um, within, and you see like your first couple of enemies um, there. Um, however. Um, Early in that sequence, you go into an elevator, and the elevator starts going down, and it opens up into another elevator rather than the lower floor. But this other elevator is—it um, is—it is like rusted iron bars. It is dirty and dark, and it is just like super jacked up compared to what should be in the small, right? And so once you go in you start descending again, but everything is now fitting that same aesthetic. And it kind of, and that cutscene kind of brings about the realization that like, oh yeah, okay, I've just gotten myself into something that's a lot, a lot worse than what I was originally expecting. <laughs> and that that whole sequence kind of, kind of like really like, it, it just always kind of stuck with me for some reason that uh that like that deliberate and like and sudden transition into like the into like that darker setting to mm-hmm. kind of like shock the players into the new environment very cool yeah i think uh those guys working on the silent hill games have been uh ahead of the curve on some of the high, uh psychological horror stuff um even though i haven't played them myself uh, I do hear that. I do hear often that uh, they're titles that stick with people um, well after playing them. Mm, that's yeah, absolutely true for sure. Like um, a lot, a lot of people would compare like the Silent Hill series to like Resident Evil, and I just think it's apples and oranges because Re- Resident Evil's approach to horror is more along the lines of you know, a scary thing will be like pop out at you or, you know, hmm. there's going to be some gore or like someone dies or something. Whereas in in Silent Hill, you're effectively completely alone. And the, the kind of horror that it cultivates is an impending, is an impending sense of dread mm-hmm. as you continue going to the point where you're relieved when you try and open a door and it's instead locked rather than you can go in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know there's a, a certain moment uh, in Resident Evil where I pick up the shotgun and I'm not scared anymore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I think that the older, um, the older kind of like tank control styles and the awkward and the awkward method of combat lends really well to that as well, because it, it makes it so every time that you need to fight, it is scary because you don't have full confidence in your own abilities the same way that 
you know, the actual character in the context of the story wouldn't as well, because you don't play, you know, you don't play like policemen or special forces or, or, you know, like super combat heroes in Silent Hill games. You play, you play an everyman, you play as a writer, like an author or a clerk or a teenage girl. Like you, you are normal people put in these situations. Very scary. Well, I'm going to have to be a little bit of a contrarian or, uh, just go away from this sort of family idea that you both shared uh, because my number one pick uh, for my uh, favorite gaming moment has to be the Mass Effect 2 suicide mission. Uh, This is the uh, final mission of Mass Effect 2. And if you played that game, you remember that it's all about building the team. And um, it culminates in this suicide mission at the end of the game where you have to uh, storm this Reaper facility and you're making decisions, uh, giving different members of your crew different responsibilities. And if you haven't uh, built your bond up or choose the correct uh, specialists for the correct jobs, not everyone is going to come back from that suicide mission. And I had to have played Mass Effect 2 10 times through at the very least and gotten a a slightly different ending almost every time. And I know that that one is going to stick with me for a long time. That was an awesome culmination, like I said, of all of the events of the game uh, building up to it. And yeah. Did either of you play Mass Effect 2? Yes, 100%. That trilogy's easily up there like pantheon of like favorite games of all time and honestly greatest trilogy of all time really <laughs> i um i actually haven't played the games oh what Chris. you're missing yep, out right. man well you're you luck will... too because, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah the legendary um, edition check out, out the legendary edition all three games uh remastered and in one package think that's coming out um soon is that coming out in may yeah of this year Um, and i would definitely say they're worth checking out did you ever uh have you played any bioware releases are you a fan of knights of the old republic um okay another one another another shocker for everybody here um i i actually know nothing about star wars i've never even seen a movie outside get of one. out of here <laughs> what in the world i i saw rogue one with a couple of my buddies who berated me into watching it how That's... are you an american get off this podcast <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> Thanks for checking out the Hardcore Gamers Show. Make sure you subscribe and tell a friend about the podcast so you can help us grow. Submit your listener mail or take part in our game club discussion at HGZ Games Show, that's games with a Z on Twitter, or by email at hgzgameclub at gmail.com. And look out for our game club episode popping up in your podcast feed at the end of each and every month. Now, back to the show. All right, so we've got uh, some listeners that wrote in here. Um, so let's go through them now. Are you guys ready for some listener mail? Already heard. Crack it open. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got Jeffrey Ganson who writes in, uh, and they say, uh, Sony might be taking down the digital storefronts uh, 
for PlayStation 3 and PlayStation Vita soon, if you could make a remake of any of the PS3 library that hasn't been brought forward yet, what would it be? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I know there's a, a few games still um, that haven't seen remakes or been brought forward in any capacity. Nathan, do you have any thoughts on a PS3 exclusive um, that you'd like to see brought forward? Yeah, yeah. But, like, can I also just say that, like, this just, like, kind of sucks that they're, like, doing this. But, I mean, like, it's just sort of... I won't go into it too much, but it's sort of like the inevitability with like the digital age and whatnot, like that this is happening. But besides that point, um, there's a couple things actually that would be cool if they brought forward. Um, what the first one is a game called Puppeteer. Have any of you heard of this? I have heard of Puppeteer, nothing but good things, but I haven't played myself. Yeah, so it's developed by Japan Studio, um, you know, rest in peace. <laughs> uh, it is a two, like a two D platformer with three D elements to it. Think like kind of like Little Big Planet. Um, it's got like this really cool, like fantasy, like kind of like uh, grim sort of environment look to it. And it was just like a, such a unique like Sony property that I don't think got enough love and life to it that like really deserved. It'd be really cool if like, they just like brought, even if they just like ported it, like the original PS3 version, which still looks really good over to the PS5. I'd be super happy with that. But that would be a really good candidate for a remake. Also, another one would be... Uh, so uh, PS3 was cool because they did a lot of these like combo packs where they brought forward a lot of the like old PS2 era games into like just these like packs that you could get. So there was a Jack and Daxter HD pack. There was a infamous pack. There was um, the Sly Cooper pack. It'd be really cool if like, you know, they did something with that and brought those forward, poured them, or even like be cool if they just went back and like remade those, like with updated graphics. I would give my second son to play an updated look looking like Jack and Daxter trilogy. Oh man, infamous second son, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> close enough. Um, but yeah, the, the, those are my picks basically. Yeah, I think those are good picks, and I know you sort of alluded to, um, yeah, if uh, those digital storefronts do go down, it's going to be just increasingly harder to play some of these games um, that are stuck sort of on the PS3 library. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I know a lot of people are concerned about that. Like, where are those games going to go? Well, there's just, like, straight-up some games you will never be able to play again unless you, like, you know... Luckily, we have emulators and stuff like that, but, like, you'll, like, certain PlayStation-only uh, games you will have to play on an emulator because PlayStation refuses to bring it forward mm -hmm. and have that, like, expanded library that, like, Xbox has done really a uh, good job, like, in their own right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, what about you, Chris? Are there any of uh, these older titles that uh, you've got some love for you'd like to see uh, brought back? Um, the first two little big planet games. I don't 
think they're on the PlayStation 5 store at least. I've looked. Um, but uh, the Little Big Planet games are bangers, and they don't. There's not really any age to them. I mean, they're, you know, platformers, and uh, uh, I would hate to see those disappear. Yes, I agree. I think that I have three. I have a copy of three um, for PlayStation Four. Uh, but those first two, um, I loved those ones a lot too. They were, uh, yeah, really big hitters, I think, for the early PlayStation 3. Um, but yeah, again, they're stuck on there. So Sony, give us some of these games that we want. Um, I know my pick for this question, uh, Nathan, you touched on it, but I would love to see Infamous 2 as well as its uh, standalone DL DLC, The Festival of Blood. Um, I would love to see those remastered or just brought forward in any capacity so I could uh, get out there and play a, an adventure with Cole again. Right. Well, man, it's just just like Nintendo. Sony has easy money. Just bring them over, man. But they just refuse to do what we want. I know um, if it was Nintendo, I know they would not do what we want. But... <laughs> Uh, since they're Sony, there's a sliver, there's a sliver of a chance that they'll do what we want. <laughs> PDX Pete writes in and he says, uh, people are loving Hades and other roguelikes that seem to be everywhere nowadays, but I still can't seem to get into them. Are there any popular genres that you just don't get? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think like uh, Pete says, these roguelikes, uh, they kind of seem like they're everywhere uh, nowadays. That's a hot genre. Um, Chris, are there any genres or games that uh, you see as really popular that you just don't understand? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, get, I, I understand why people would play them, but I, I, can't, I can't get into them myself. Uh, the two genres that I would like off the top of my head answer with would be battle royales and open world sandbox MMOs a la Ark or uh, Rust. And uh, the reasoning behind for the open world sandbox MMOs would be um, I, I played Ark for a good while as well, but without any greater like overarching goal to the game. I just couldn't find myself, you know, staying engaged with it, as well as the fact that, you know, my my home and my stuff were constantly a peril of getting demolished and stolen <laughs> and then just resetting all of my progress anyway. And I didn't yes. really feel invested enough to just, you know, be constantly online because I have other things to do, too. Yeah. Um, with the Battle Royales, I, I guess, um, regarding that one, I I don't dislike first person shooters, but the kind of battle royale system I guess I'm not really a big fan of just because of how much dead time there is. Mm -hmm. Um it's not really it's not really, you know, fast paced like say playing a Call of Duty or Battlefield game, but it's also not, you know, a completely calculated experience like playing something like say Escape from Tarkov. It's mm -hmm. it's just kind of chaotic. And you don't, you, it's, it's not really, there's not really a consistency in gameplay there. For sure. Um, that is definitely a popular genre, but not for everybody. Um, Nathan, what about you? Are there any uh, that come to mind? First off, probably, um, what's the, what's like the genre like Civ, 
Civilization series is, is that like turn-based strategy, sort of um, simulation strategy. Is, that, is yeah. that grand strategy? Does it qualify? Yes, I think I think that is right. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of those. Um, I've tried really hard. Uh, it might be just like Civilization as a game series in general. I've tried really hard to get into them, and it's not that like I don't like understand them or anything. I just get. I think it's just a little too tedious for for me at times, and I just get like really bored going through the motions of it and uh, like i'm a big history buff too so i should like love civilization you know mm-hmm. uh, but i don't know maybe one of these days it'll finally click for me but i yeah i've never been able to get into those that series or just that style of game um have you ever looked into crusader kings i have not so Crusader Kings is another grand strategy, but it plays very differently from Civ in that the the systems are a lot more complicated. So I mean, there's a more of a learning curve to it. But like uh-huh. you're you're playing as generations of rulers, like like day by day. Obviously, you can affect the time scale of like you know how many seconds is how many days or months. But um, you you effectively like the only the only like grand goal for the game is to maintain your dynasty until the end of the high middle ages. But um, there's uh there's a lot more going on and it, it, it's a little fresher than Civ Five's I don't know kind of style or like approach to it. Okay, well I'll be I'll, I'll check it out. I'm I'm more than willing to like try a new game out. Um, yeah, thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, I uh, I'm interested in trying that one a little bit more now uh, after that as well because I think I I get what you're saying, Nathan. Where um, I I think I like Civ a little bit more than you, but there uh, there does get to a point, at least for me, where I've got too many units spanning too much of the map. Um, it's almost a bit too much. Um, so I don't know, but. Uh, for, for my genre, I would also probably say uh, Battle Royales. And uh, it's not so much that I don't get them uh, again, but yeah, just not my favorite style as far as Team Deathmatch or some type of first-person shooter uh, match would go. Uh, I do like the open spaces, but there can be times that are a little dull or... You know, I get sniped from across the map and then have to start all the way over that uh, I'm just not a fan of uh, if I have my choice. Steve Lang writes in, Hey gamers, I've got a list of celebrities that have guest starred in video games below. Your job is to match the actor with the game they have have appeared in. Um, so Steve's got a little game here for us. Uh I've got six questions, three for each of you, and we'll see um, who can win if either of you get any points. Uh, are you guys ready for this? Raise whatever, well, baby. <laughs> All right, Nathan, you talked first, so I'm sending the first one your way. First off, I've got Burt Reynolds, and you've got some choices. Was Burt Reynolds in A, Gun, B, Saints Row the Third, or C, Batman Arkham Asylum. Crud, of course I get this. Um, so I've only played one of the three games, Batman Arkham Asylum. But from what I remember, <laughs> I I don't know Burt Reynolds' voice that well, but I know it well enough to know that he, I don't think he was in Arkham Asylum. 
Okay. I don't know a lot about Gun or Saints Row the Third, but I'm gonna go on a limb and say a gun. He goes with a gun, and Nathan, you are wrong. It was B, uh, Saints Row the Third. Fifty-fifty <laughs> um, shot, essentially. All right, that's one down for Nathan. Does not get the point. Chris, we're moving on to round two. Your pick is Ricky Gervais. Now, was Ricky Gervais in A, Little Big Planet, B, Middle Earth Shadow, Shadow of Mordor, or C, GTA 4? Okay. Um, I have vague memories of GTA 4, and I don't think he was in there. Okay. I have not played Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor, so by process of elimination, I'm guessing he was in some kind of role in Little Big Planet, maybe a small one. I can't remember. I going also with A, a Little Big Planet. A. Okay, he's going with A, Little Big Planet. And Chris, you are wrong. <laughs> uh, Ricky Gervais Jeez. was in GTA 4. Uh, he played himself in the stand-up clubs. You could go um, and listen to him do some stand-up bits about oh, Liberty City. Uh, pretty interesting. I remember that one. We're getting <laughs> smack daddied. So zero for two um, from the hardcore gamers over here. But that's okay. We've got a couple more. Nathan, I'm coming back at you. Next up, we've got Martin Sheen. Now, was he in A, Mass Effect 2, B, Spec Ops The Line, or C, The Departed video game? Ooh, okay. I think I probably most definitely know this um i'm gonna say a mass effect 2 and he was the elusive man all right he's going with a mass effect 2 and he knows that he was the elusive man nathan you are correct you're right martin oh. sheen provided uh his voice and likeness for the elusive man who could forget in mass effect 2 and 3 and yeah awesome performance i thought um in that series so Nathan goes up one with the first point. Chris, I gotcha. We've got Matthew Perry. Now, was Matthew Perry in A, Uncharted 2, Among Thieves, B, Fallout New Vegas, or C, Injustice, Gods Among Us? All right, I'm at a hefty disadvantage because not only have I not played two of these games, I don't know who Matthew Perry is. <laughs> He's a... Uh, um... Chandler. Chandler, Chandler from, from Friends. Friends. I have never seen it. Oh, no. <laughs> You're a luck. Uh, You've got uh, the power of guessing. Yes, I do. I'm going to guess Fallout New Vegas purely by guessing they have a lot of voice actors. He guesses B, Fallout New Vegas, and Chris, you are correct. Matthew Perry was in Fallout New Vegas. He played Benny, the guy that shot you in the head at the very beginning of the game. Oh, snap. <laughs> uh, that means we've got a tie going into our final round. I've only got one more for each of you, so this may be the deciding question. Nathan, last last question. Kristen Bell. Now, was Kristen Bell in A, Assassin's Creed, B, Mirror's Edge, or C, Alone in the Dark? All three games I have not played. Um, I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark and say 
B, Mirror's Edge. Okay, he guesses B, Mirror's Edge. And Nathan, you are incorrect. Kristen Bell uh, made a guest appearance in Assassin's Creed. I think she was in maybe the first three games as uh, Lucy, who was helping uh, your main character out in the uh, quote-unquote future world or real world, whatever you want to call outside of the animus stuff. Um, That was a surprise guest appearance, and uh, it was Assassin's Creed. That leaves you with one point overall. Chris, this one is for the game. Ice Cube. Was Ice Cube in A, Saints Row the Third, B, Halo Reach, or C, Call of Duty Black Ops? Oh boy, I hope someone knows CPR because I'm about to choke. Uh, <laughs> I could see him in any of these games. Uh, oh boy. Um, I'm going to guess. Ah, uh, man. I'm going to. I'm going to guess Call of Duty Black Ops. For the game, Chris guesses C, Call of Duty Black Ops. And Chris, you are correct. Oh, too easy. I knew it all along. It's the man right there. Uh, That's right. Ice Cube was in the first Call of Duty Black Ops. He played uh, Joseph Bowman. uh, And that gives Chris two games. Uh, thank you, Steve Lang, for writing in with that game. Chris, you are the champion of celebrity guest starring in video games, even though uh, two of your correct answers were both guesses. <laughs> hey, man, it's the luck of the game sometimes. You just got to go for it. Uh, remember, listeners, there are two ways to get on the podcast at HGZ Game Show. That's games with a Z on Twitter. Or send us an email at hgzgameclub at gmail.com. That's going to wrap up our show for today. Uh, remember to follow along and participate in our game club discussion on Twitter at HGZ Game Show. That's games with a Z. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Chris. My name is Michael Colville. This was the Hardcore Gamer Show. Keep on gaming. <laughs>